Welcome to episode number 27 on the Voices of Bowie podcast. In this instalment, I'm joined by Mossy Martin, who most of you in the Irish trad scene will know as a very talented fiddle player. Mossy will talk to us about the vibrant world of Irish traditional music, and he will also share his story about his musical upbringing, some of the history of Irish music, and the importance of keeping this art form alive. The Irish trad scene in Boyle, as we know, is a well-established one, and it's important to keep it that way. Massey is our first guest that will speak about Irish traditional music, and we hope to have a few more local musicians from the town come on in the coming months. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Massey Martin. Massey, what's the crack? It's been a very, very long time. I Good. think I think it's been about 20, 25 years, maybe. Great to see you again, Carlo. Yeah, it's a long, long I, time. I have some great memories of underage football with you and with Boyle Celtic. The, the good old 90s. Yeah, the good old 90s. absolutely. With a great old team. What position but, did you play in on Boyle Celtic? Like, wasn't it right back? By centre half. Centre half. Yeah, so Alan, Alan Tiernan was right back. Alan was, and Daz, Darren Suffin would have been centre as well with you, wouldn't he? He was, but in, in the first uh, under-13 team, I think it was Kieran McKeown. Ah, Tessie, as we used to call him. That's right. That? Tessie, yeah. That's right. Jeez. And do you remember making the final up in Ray McSharry Park oh, against was, Marvel? That was a big a big dude to get playing up in McSharry Park. It was Park. huge. Because the pitch, yeah. as you know, the pitch back then was just like a carpet yeah. compared to what all the other pitches back in those days were like, you know. And we had and we had linesmen. We did, yeah. <laughs> we thought we were real pros back then. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I suppose bring us back to the start, uh, Massey. Where are you from originally, or where's your family from originally? Yeah, well, I grew up in a townland called Derry Nakusan, which is a couple of miles outside the village of Kiju. And uh, my parents um, bought a bit of land there and built a house there. And uh, I suppose to go back a bit further, uh, my mother, Susan Sweeney, um, who was from Enniskillen originally, um, she became a dentist. She was in UCD and um, she ended up in Roscommon initially for about six months working as a dentist. And then she got moved up to Boyle in about 1976. So that's kind of the reason that, that the family is in the area, you know. Then my dad <coughs> met her through mutual friends and um, my dad is Tom Martin from uh, Lucan County, Dublin. And um, he was always interested in the land. Do you know, he grew up working on farms around at that time, you know, in the 40s and 50s. Lucan was a, a kind of a country town outside Dublin and he grew up working on farms, picking spuds and saving hay and stuff. And um, so the, the two of them, you know, they were interested in growing their own vegetables and, uh, you know, having having a, a, a the good lifestyle yeah. sort of stuff, you know. So, so, the, so there you were based in uh, Kiju. That's outside. That's right. Outside Kiju. Outside Kiju. Yeah. And you obviously then used to come into. Did you? You went to school in Boyle as well. I did. Yeah. I went to St Mary's. Yeah. That's right. And up until leave and search. Up until leave and search. Yeah. From right. about ninety two to ninety seven. Okay. And we used to get the bus at Bridge Carter and Crossroads, and we'd cycle down to the crossroads, leave the bikes, you know, locked to the gate, myself and the brother Pajo. And um, get the bus, which came from Giva through Ballyfarnan and then went up through Corrigan Row and into Boyle. And um, yeah, it was a big deal. We could have gone to Drumshambo. There was a, a bus that went to Drumshambo as well. But Boyle was our town. 
Right. Do you know, our mum was the dentist in Boyle. Made sense then. And, that and Boyle was our town and, and that, that made sense, absolutely. I, I do actually remember as well, when you just said it there, I completely forgot, uh, Padgio, your brother. That's right. He was how many years younger than you? He's nearly two years younger. Yeah, I do remember. He played a bit of football, did he? He well? sure did. Yeah, yeah he was right. in goals for Boyle Celtic for years. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, he, and he loved it. Loved it. So after you finished up in... St. Mary's as it was back then. Yeah. Uh, you did you, you did you go on to college or what did you do after that or So I, after St. Mary's um a few of us said let's go down to UCG down to Galway for the crack. It's a great place to go, you know. And there was about five or six of us from that leaving search year and we'd all agreed to go down there and only two of us ended up down there. Uh, John Brennan was the other lad that came down with me and um, he was doing commerce in French and I was doing commerce in Spanish. And then there was one morning he, he knocked on the door of me digs, you know, about nine o'clock in the morning. He said, come on, we're going to the pub, the student <laughs> bar, you know, I'm celebrating. I got a third round offer to Trinity, you know, so he fecked off from Galway as well. And uh, it was just yourself left. So it was just myself left. Yeah. Um, uh, is that's John Brennan from out the road here? Isn't Absolutely. It? All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so you stayed in Galway for how many years? So Galway for for four years. Okay. But one of those years was in Spain doing uh, um, Erasmus in Bilbao, a city in the north of Spain. Okay. Okay. And um, I'd kind of, you know, I'd I'd done a bit of Spanish with Frank Tivnan in St Mary's. And I'd also done French with um, Mary Martin and um, I, I enjoyed both of them. I enjoyed languages and but I had this image of Spain and this kind of love for Spain that was kind of instilled through my grandparents. They used to go on holidays nearly every year to Spain. My grandfather loved the heat and, and the beach and everything, you know. And I remember my mum going on holidays with them maybe about 1985 or 1986 you know and she came back with these amazing sweets exotic sweets uh-huh. and and memories and stories and stuff and um my uncle uh, my mum's brother he had lived in Salamanca for a while and Mexico and he spoke fluent Spanish and I have another uncle on this on my mum's side as well who married a a, a woman from Lanzarote a Spaniard so um, so there was a bit of an affinity there with Spain. And of course, I fell in love with Spain when I got there. You know, I, I loved the climate and the food and the people and the crack and the life, lifestyle. I do. Yeah, I speak fluent. Spanish, fluent Spanish. Ah, yeah, brilliant. Well, there you go. Yeah. You're, you're definitely immersed in it. I ended up marrying a girl from Barcelona. Oh, really? OK. So we, we go over regular to uh, to Catalonia, you know. Brilliant. OK. And, um, oh, well, then... So we, we, we kind of we're, we're mixing both cultures, yeah. you know, the Irish and the Spanish culture. And do you have kids, children? We have two girls, yeah. Susan is 12 and Sophia is nine. Sophia, nice. Okay, yeah. right. And um, So they're, they're both fluent Spanish speakers and, you know, their mum speaks Spanish to them all the time. And That's a brilliant uh, yeah. advantage, though, isn't it, to have bilingual? Ah, you know, yeah. It's, it's really, it's something that I think if, if more of us when we were younger, you know, I... I shamefully can't speak Italian I yeah, should have yeah. I tried learning a few times but I think you have to really make a, a big effort and I think the best way would be maybe like you did immerse yourself in that culture in the in the country yeah well I, I was studying it for like two years in Galway before the Erasmus year 
Mm. But still, when I got there, you know, I remember ringing numbers from a notice board looking for a room to stay in. And I'd ring up and I'd ask slowly in Spanish, you know, oh, excuse me, do you have a room available? And they'd answer back, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'd be like, Lost. Uh, lo siento, puedes hablar más despacio, por favor. <laughs> you know, can you talk yeah. slower, yeah, please? Yeah, and yeah. and uh, lost. So, um, <laughs> and I'd be going into class every day, you know, from September. And I remember coming out of a class in November and uh, the end of November and thinking, oh, my God, I understood what went on. Must be a great For feeling. the first time, you know, it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um and you mentioned something there um, when I was chatting to you recently about uh, a spiked drink in 2001. That yeah. played a big part. Uh, tell us a bit about that. So I just finished college um, at the end of the academic year in 2001. And I think it was August 2001. I was 21. And I went over with um, another musician. The two of us went on holidays for about 10 days. And we had a great time. We were playing music every day and we were out every night. And when I came home, uh, I didn't feel right. You know, it was like the hangover uh, wasn't lifting. And the second night after I came home, I had this kind of panic attack. I had a, had a real bad feeling. And I kind of suspected, you know, that my drink had been spiked or something. And the following day, um, I, I I ended up in casualty in Sligo General Hospital. And eventually a, a doctor said to me, here, uh, take this urine sample and, and, and give us a sample and let's see what's going on. And they found three things in my, um, in my body that I hadn't taken. Tricyclical antidepressants, PCP, and a Valium derivative. Right. Concoction. And a concoction, yeah. And like this this caused drug-induced psychosis, you know. And um, I, they transferred me down to Roscommon Hospital. I was in the psychiatric ward for two weeks and put on quite heavy medication, sedation, and um, couldn't do much, didn't have the energy and... Um, I I was at home, you know, with my dad and, and taking it easy and trying to do the right things, get enough sleep and fresh air and eat well and stuff. And um, and the doctors, I'd be meeting them regular and they'd gradually take me off the medication. And um, I had to go back into hospital then in November for a month because I wasn't right. And, and I, I went psychotic again, you know. OK, so. And um, I then, uh, you know, um I came out just before Christmas and spent the, the, most of the next year uh, in recovery and uh, on on medication for about a year and a half and uh, managed to get well again, you know, and managed to make a full recovery. And uh, um, so you were weaned, did you, you were slowly weaned off the medication that you were taking? That's right. Right. Yeah. And the symptoms of what happened were mm. they more physical or mental kind of in terms of were you panicked feel pa- anxious socially anxious or yeah it, it was mental you know i mean 
when a, a person has a psychotic episode, their their kind of rationale and their logic goes out the window, do you know. And I was feeling very paranoid, and I was making lots of connections uh, that weren't there. And I was, um, I suppose, I was feeling quite um, nearly self obsessed and and thinking that everything was uh, about me or. Um, you know, it was it was a very strange time, very strange so, feeling, and extremely scary as well. Because you know, not and was it in a it was in a pub that you think it was spiked? Was that could yeah. that have been the only? Yeah, right. I think it was. That's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, like and yeah, and was it meant to be your drink or was it someone else's that they thought it was? Or you know, it makes kind of. I I'll never know. No, I'll never get to the bottom of that, and I've stopped trying to trying to you yeah, know you drive yourself crazy. Exactly. There was there was a, a period where I was trying to work out why and yeah. and who and all that. But so when you told me that, I was I had like, to let it okay, go. I think what would be the only rational way of thinking about it is that it, they didn't know it was your drink that it could have been maybe a female's drink, for for example, and you happened they got the drinks wrong because that's the only thing. You would think, why would someone go and spike a fella's drink? It yeah, just doesn't make yeah. sense, you know. But anyway, yeah. as you said, you never get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Um, so I suppose. So like that, that interrupted my my uh, sporting career. You know, yeah, I, I couldn't play football for a year or two there, and I never really got back into it as much as I was playing. So you played up until two thousand and one. That's right. When Boyle Celtic won the Super League, Abs- you were part of that. Absolutely. And then yeah. obviously that was your kind of finishing with Boyle that Celtic. Was, that was nearly the end of of ah. the soccer career with Boyle okay. Celtic. Yeah, I played a couple of years after that uh, Gaelic with St Michael's. Okay. Um, but I, I was never. Um, you know, I, I really missed those couple of years where you're you're building up and of course. building your skills and your and your body and stuff. You know, and I played minor or scumming and under sixteen and stuff. And you know, um, uh, I was I enjoyed it. You know, yeah, I know. Yeah. The, I mean, you lost out in a couple of years there just through <clears> that, and then as you said, maybe you know things move on. Yeah, your, your interests change and stuff like that. And but I suppose also the music became really important. And um, often it was hard to combine the music and the sport. Yeah, you know, of course. Exactly. Of a weekend, you might be at a fla or a festival. Yes. And you'd be uh, you'd be playing away in sessions or whatever, and you'd be minding yourself thinking about the training session yeah. or the match the next day. Yeah. And then you'd be at the match or the training session, and you'd be thinking about the fla you were missing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you'd, be, you'd never be happy. <laughs> uh, so I suppose that leads us on to your your musical career and how did you first get interested in music? So you played, you played, the, you played the fiddle, tin I play, whistle? I played the tin whistle and the fiddle, yeah. Right. And, yeah. So and I, st- I started on the tin whistle about seven or eight. Okay. And me folks were into music, you know, Susan sang and played a bit of guitar and, and Tom still plays a bit of music on mouth organ and Bowron and guitar and, you know, he, he sang songs as well and, they were they would have gone to sessions locally and festivals and stuff as well, and uh, so they encouraged us, you know, and they brought us to whistle lessons. And my first whistle lesson was in um, Ballyfarnan with Bernie Flaherty from Boyle. from Boyle, oh, yeah. yeah, okay. And I went to him for a couple of years, and then I started going to uh, Paddy Ryan in Corrigan Row, and um, and then I started the fiddle. 
and uh, there's a, a fiddle player from Longford originally called Seamus Thompson. And my um, dad found out that, um, you know, he played a bit in Cryins and Carrick and Shannon and, <clears throat> and the Thatch Bar outside Carrick and Shannon. And uh, my dad found out found out and, and organised for lessons with him. So we went over kind of once a week for about three years. And that had a huge influence on my um, on my style and on my music. You know, we learned by year, we learned note for note, bow for bow. And after the, the, the few years, we were playing like a little orchestra. Right. Now, we play completely differently now. You know, I've since gone on to develop my own style and um, listening to other musicians and trying to express the music the way you want to express it. You know, it's it's a bit different to the way Seamus plays it. But um, it, w- it was a brilliant foundation to have, you know. Uh, like a lot of fiddle playing, um, the important thing is the bowing, the bowing technique and when to go up and when to go down and to try and get a bit of flow into the music. So um, it was great to have a bit of direction in that. Um, yeah, well, someone like me who knows absolutely zero about uh, Irish traditional music, more so fiddle. Can you tell me the difference? Because this intrigued me, the difference between a violin and a fiddle, because I thought they were different, but I don't think they are after speaking with you. Yeah, well, it's it's a common question, you know, and a lot of people are are confused sometimes and uh, Sometimes the best way to answer it is that the difference between a fiddler and a violinist is about £500 a night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's not the fiddler getting that money. <laughs> right. OK, so that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the violin is exactly the same instrument as a fiddle. But a violinist plays classical music or jazz or chamber music and a fiddler will play folk music. It could be American folk, it could be Scottish traditional music, Irish traditional music, and we refer to that instrument as a fiddle. But the, it's, it's the same instrument. The same instrument, exactly the same dimensions. They might choose different strings to get a different mm. effect. Okay. Do you know, but it's the same. And would a fiddle player be insulted to be called a viol- violinist or vice versa? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because if you were to call someone by... Uh, yeah, well, I'd say a violinist would be insulted to be called a fiddler. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I, I would feel inadequate if you called me a violinist, you know, because I cannot do what violinists can do. Right. As you in know, the I genre of music you were saying. The genre of yeah. music. I, I cannot play Mozart and Beethoven and... Right. You know, Vivaldi and stuff. Yes, like, okay. You know. So there's the, so there is that that difference in the yeah, style of yeah. music, right? And um, Irish traditional music has a rich history and cultural significance as well. So, do you connect with the tra- traditions and stories behind the tunes that you play, or do you just, as you said, you learned by ear, yeah, and you just belt them out, or do you have a connection with this? Some of the, not all of them, obviously, but. Some of the, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And and the the older you get, and the and the more you learn about the music and the history of it, you know, the more connection you feel. And mm. like this area is rich in um, musical tradition. Um, you've got, you know, in the South Sligo region, you've got three really famous fiddle players who emigrated in the nineteen tens and the nineteen twenties from this area to America. 
and they coincided with the recording era and their records had a huge influence um, in, in all traditional musicians who heard them all over the country. So Michael Coleman, James Morrison and Paddy Caloran, they're, they're kind of like the holy trinity of Sligo fiddle playing or North Connacht music. And I would have listened a good bit to them and, and been influenced by them and learned the tunes that they recorded. And the tunes they recorded would form part of the standard repertoire of music of this area. And then you have a flute player by the name of John McKenna, who was a similar era and, and he also emigrated and his recordings have influenced all flute players since you know, the likes of Matt Malloy and Seamus Tansey and Tommy Guihan and, uh, you know, the best flute players of today, they, they can all trace their their music back to the, the John McKenna recordings. And he was from Arigna, uh, the, the Leitrim side of Arigna Mountain. And if you go back further, then, of course, you have Turlico Carolyn, who was born in 1670 in Nobber in County Mead. But his family came to Ballyfarnan, where his father worked for the McDermott Row family. They had the big house there, Alderford House. And um, <clears throat> he fell blind as a teenager, O'Carolan, and uh, the lady of the house sent him to a local harper to give him a trade. And um, he he became a travelling bard uh, or a travelling harper. He travelled all over the northwest into Ulster, down as far as Clare and into Leinster. And um, what his, he composed songs um, for his patrons. And but the songs have not really survived. But what has survived is his music because his melodies were so good. And they were a bit of a mix of traditional Irish music and the pop music of the day, which at the end of the 1600s, beginning of the 1700s, the pop music then was Baroque music. And he'd hear this Baroque music uh, in the big houses that he went to visit. Uh, it might be played on a harpsichord or a piano. And he was really influenced by Italian composers like Vivaldi and Corelli and Giovanniani and um, some of his pieces are very Baroque in style he's got one called O'Carolan's Concerto a really famous tune and um, so his uh, his tunes are you know they're, they're part of the heritage of this area and you've also got people like um, Josie McDermott who played the flute and the saxophone and he composed didn't compose a lot of music, but the music he did compose became really well known in the tradition. He also wrote a few plays and composed a few songs and he played in, he, he was almost a professional musician for much of his life, you know, and he travelled all over the country to flas and festivals. And um, and then you, you have, um, we have other great musicians in the area the likes of John Carty and Tommy Guihan who are well known all yeah. all over the country in, yeah. in traditional music circles you know and further abroad I think John Carty would be known further abroad as well would he absolutely yeah yeah yeah. yeah. but as as we were saying as well Boyle has a rich history in the trad session um, over the years you had the the Cayley House um, on the Crescent that's no longer there obviously but yeah. um, you know that was I think the focal point for a number of years and I think did it start I, I'm not sure I can't remember but was it the Grand Sisters initially started and then they moved to the Cayley House or was it the Cayley House and then it went up to the Grehens I'm not sure if that's uh, kind of uh, it's something I need to find out more about but again because yeah. I don't know much about the industry it's uh, it wouldn't have been on my 
forefront to find out. But yeah, well, the, the likes of Bernie Flaherty and Jerry Morris and Anne Conboy would would know much more about that than I yeah, do. You know, yeah, yeah, it was it was their parents' pub. Wasn't that's right. It? Yeah, Jerry yeah. and Anne's yeah, parents' that's pub. That's right. And, yeah. But you're right. It was a, a focal point for traditional music in the area. Yeah, and they encouraged it, and they 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 had regular sessions. Yeah. and and now it's obviously Dodds has the the folk night on. A, is it the first Thursday of every month? I think, which is a great to see that coming back. Yeah, you know. Um, but you you you've played in Boyle over the years, have you? In oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have played. We used to come in um, when I was a teenager. We used to come in and play in the railway bar. There oh, used yes. to be a session in the railway bar. With Seamus Thompson and and Anne and um, uh, sometimes Jerry Morris would be there as well and Francis Gaffney on guitar and um, and then more recently I I played in the Boyle Arts Festival in 2019 I launched a, a CD there uh, a great night in Clark's Bar and uh, there's a regular I think it's a fortnightly session in Dodds uh, on Friday nights. So I, I'd, I'd make it down to an odd one of those. That's right. It was on there. We were at it there last Friday night. It was, yeah. um, there was a few of them in there. Um, so you've, you've been doing music. You've been playing full time. You also teach as well, don't you? That's right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. So um, uh, I was working in the golf club in Carrick and Shannon. I was cutting greens and tea boxes and stuff and actually really enjoyed it. And I'd I'd known, I'd heard about this course in Drumshambo, uh, which was established in 1997. And it kind of grew out of the success of the Joe Mooney Summer School, which is probably the best week of the year in Drumshambo. And it's one of the best known summer schools of traditional Irish music, song and dance. And um, the organisers of the summer school and the principal of the secondary school at the time they said, why can't we do something all year round, provide a course or something uh, like the Joe Mooney Summer School? So they set up this PLC course in 97 and Paddy Ryan was teaching it then from 2000. And uh, in 2006, he retired and uh, the job came up and uh, I was cutting greens and uh, about 11 o'clock during the break, w- uh, went home to Carrick got a quick shower, put on the suit, did an interview and half an hour later I was back cutting greens and uh, a couple of days later I got a call that they'd offered me the job and uh, I didn't know it at the time but it was pretty life-changing because, um, you know, I've been there ever since, since 2006 and people come from all over the country to do this course. It's like an introduction to traditional Irish music, song and dance and people of all ages, all levels, complete beginners, people who have been playing a few years, uh, they're all welcome to do the course and uh, all instruments. Um, so I've been uh, happily doing that since uh, since 2006. So did that spur you on then to kind of create your own music? Because I know you have CDs and you've created your own stuff. Mm. Was that the kind of impetus that kind of said showed you that okay I can go and do something on my own because you also have a YouTube channel that you upload some content to yeah n- not really I had that that dream ever before getting the job in, in Drumshambo and stuff you know and um, I suppose uh, you know a lot a lot of musicians have a, a dream of producing an album at some stage or going on a tour or you know performing in, in uh, nice theatres and stuff so um 
there was a couple of things, uh, you know, that, that happened down through the years. Uh, one important thing was the Leitrim Equation Project that Leitrim County Council initiated. And they recognised that one of their... Um, one of their uh, valuable things in County Leitrim was the tradition of music, song and dance. So they invested in it and they created a residency and they invited uh, Lunasa to come to the county over a period of 18 months for several visits. And they visited all the uh, local sessions, schools, nursing homes, communities um, up and down the county. And as part of the project, they produced a, a double CD at the end of it with local musicians. And they also did a little uh, composition workshop. So um, myself and my dad recorded a track for that album. And that was kind of my first experience of, um, you know, a professional kind of setup. I record, we recorded in the Glen Centre in Manor Hamilton. And um, we had a great uh, couple of nights launching it in Carrick and the Button Factory in Temple Bar. And then after that, they invited Dervish, uh, the band Dervish, to do an 18-month residency in County Leitrim. And I remember meeting Dervish for the first time in a session in Drumshambo. And then the next day they came up to the, the music course I was teaching and we had a chat with them and they played for us and they, they did a little concert for the secondary school. And then uh, shortly after that, the fiddle player, uh, a guy called Tom Morrow from, uh, I think he's near Carrigallan, County Leitrim. So his wife was having a baby and they had a tour to the Netherlands, uh, a week long tour. So um, he couldn't do it. So they invited me to do that tour with them. And like that was a pretty big stepping stone for me, you know. Yeah. And um so things like that. And, and yeah. I always had a, an idea to do something myself. And eventually in, in 2018, we started uh, recording uh, this album. It's called The Humours of Darian Akusin. And my dad is on it playing mouth organ. And my brother is on it playing banjo and fiddle, Brendan. And my sister Anya is on it playing harp. And a guy called John Blake, who's a fantastic flute player, piano player and guitarist. He's also a recording engineer. So he came to my dad's house in Derry Nacusin, set up the microphones and we sat around and we recorded the, the music, you know. Brilliant. So in, in your house, not in a studio, more more informal, but more natural kind it, of an environment. Exactly. Yeah. I, d yeah. I didn't want to go into a studio and yeah. and, and work in, in booths and record separately with headphones. And, yeah. you know, you lose that live you feel do, to you it. You do. You do. Absolutely. Th there's a bit of there's a bit of warmth or, or authenticness to it. Exactly. That, and especially that for Irish capture. traditional music as well, where it was always around the fireplace, in the kitchen, that kind of so you kept it real in that respect. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned there about uh, a collaboration for that uh, tour. Mm. So what do you enjoy most about working with other musicians? I presume there, there's a difference than on your own all the time, obviously, but some people would, some musicians might prefer on their own. Others might prefer collaborations yeah. as such. Yeah. On, on your own can be a lonely station. You know, you're very exposed. And... Um, it's um, it's much easier to I find to play with somebody else or in a in a bigger group. You know, um, you can spark off each other and you're more relaxed. And um, so I really enjoy playing with uh, the Cayley band we have in Sligo. It's called the Dartry Cayley band, and um, we 
we we did the senior Kayleigh Band competitions in 2008 and 2009 and we won it in 2009 in Tullamore in the in the All-Ireland FLA and we've done uh, we've just um, published our third album um, uh, just released that a couple of weeks ago and um, we'll be playing in the FLA in Mullingar soon and, and the 11th and 12th oh, of August right. okay. the All-Ireland FLA so um yeah I love I love playing with other musicians and it's it's especially uh magic when you sit down with someone you don't really know or you haven't really played with before and all of a sudden you're you're sparking off them and you're playing mighty music together and you know it's yeah. there's a great feeling there it, yeah it's just like the old days in, in terms of you know it's raw it's real mm. yeah and, and and traditional music is like that you know you can go all over the world to any city in the world and there'll be uh, especially in the english speaking world there'll be a trad session mm. in sydney or new york or chicago or san francisco and you can sit down with strangers and because you've both spent a few years playing traditional Irish music you'll have a common repertoire of course there's there's a, a set of tunes there's a you know there's a few hundred tunes there that everybody will know so you can sit down and spend two hours playing music with them and having the crack and you have that instant you connection know, as well that's and you have an instant connection and you don't get that in, in many no, other genres of music definitely you know? not and you, you've obviously played in a lot of different venues and locations over the years is there any one particular one that's been a standout or, or your favourite location venue to play in? Um, yeah, well, the the Clark's Bar in Boyle in 2019 was was brilliant. For know? the Arts Festival. For the it? Arts yeah. Festival, yeah. Um, it was a real, um, I got a chance to meet people I hadn't seen in years and stuff and uh, people like Mary Horan, who was the dental nurse with my mum and Magella, who, right. who was, uh, worked with her as well. Um uh, that tour in the Netherlands with Dervish, you know, the last night was in Rotterdam in a in a, an amazing uh, theatre of, of about three thousand. Uh, that was pretty special. Um, I've played in a few festivals in Spain, Catalonia, Celta, um, in a town called Baga. Played with Jamie O'Dowd, the two of us, and that was launched in the album in twenty nineteen as well. And that, that was in an outdoor uh, arena, kind of a square in the town. Um, and playing with the Cayley Band in uh, in the Fla in Sligo that was really special in the gig rig on yeah. the Saturday night of the Fla and there was you know it was outdoor there was thousands of people and they were all your friends and neighbours and family and stuff and I'd say that's a surreal experience as well playing the Fla because due to the nature of it where you have just everyone outside if it's good weather even better uh, it must be an amazing experience though having just everyone having the crack, having a few drinks, enjoying the music. Yeah. So it's a very, very special, you know, to experience. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's it's in Mullingar quite a lot. Or is, am, I cor- am I incorrect in saying Well, that? it was in Mullingar in the, fir- in the first year of it in 1951. Right. And it was in Mullingar last year in 2022. Um, I'm not sure where it is next year in 2024. I think but, uh, it's been in Mullingar a few times lately as well. I might be wrong. I don't know why I always associate the FLA lately with Mullingar. Don't yeah. know why. Maybe there maybe there isn't, but um So when you're practicing uh your routine, how do you stay motivated to kind of consistently want to improve? Like is there do you do you, is there anything you do to kind of you know, because it has to be obviously maybe to keep motivated, to keep 
composing or keep playing? Yeah. Is there any? Well, I mean, in in traditional music, you're you're always learning tunes. There's always new tunes to be learned. You're usually listening to um, other musicians, new albums coming out, and you might hear a tune that you enjoy, and you think, "I want to learn that tune." Do you know, and that 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 keeps it fresh all the time. And and we've been doing that since since you were since you started since you were eight or nine, um, and I don't think that process ever ever ends. You know. Um, when you're preparing for uh, a big gig or a, an album or something, you, I do practice the tunes, play them up a bit, and um, uh, get get a bit more fluent and and a bit more flow into them. And you might work on them and try and work out some variations or interest in ornamentation or try and work up a, a little version of your own of the tune. But um, most of the time. You know, I'm I'm teaching most days. I have the fiddle in the hand most days, um, so I, I I don't sort of fall out of practice much, and uh, it's very easy to keep motivated because you uh, if if you love it as you you're, said you're though. going you're going to festivals, you're meeting new people, you're meeting new musicians, you're you're hearing new tunes. You know, you, yeah. you just it's Could it's you, an ongoing process. Yeah, yeah, because I presume there are musicians as well. Maybe you know some, but that have actually fallen out of love with either the the fiddle or whatever instrument it was they played. So you'd have to kind of wonder what happened that, you know, caused them to fall out of love with something they've been doing all their life up until that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but is there a defining moment in your fiddle playing career that you can, that stands out? Is there one moment that kind of you look back on fondly that's... Not really. Yeah. There's, there's there's several, there's lot, lots of great memories, you know. Um, I remember the FLA in 97 in Ballina and I qualified to play in the under 18 um, fiddle competition. And I remember Seamus coming up to us and we had a few tunes before the competition and um, it was amazing just to, to get there, to qualify, to be to know you were at that standard that All-Ireland standard. I didn't get placed or or win it or anything, but uh, it was br- brilliant to get there. Yeah. And I, I met loads of uh, musicians, teenagers, and we had a great time playing sessions. And um, and then, I suppose, winning the Senior Kelly Band competition with the Dartry was a highlight. Um, there's, a, there's an amazing tradition there going back to the 1950s of, uh, of Kelly Bands and some of the best musicians have won won those competitions, and uh, then, as I said, doing that tour with with Dervish and and playing with Lunasa and meeting them them musicians, and uh, doing the album in twenty nineteen with the family. You know mm. that was that was uh, special. All yeah, highlights. of course. Yeah, and as you said, there's probably no one standout. It's kind of a combination of of different ones. But um, so you said you just released an album and. Is there any other musical goals going forward that you're aspiring to? Is there anything on the horizon that you're looking to achieve as such? Yeah, the, you always have a couple of ideas. And um, uh, I had an idea to, pl- to play. I I, play, I recorded um, on video. There's a couple of videos online with the Sligo Baroque Orchestra. 
and I, I did a couple of gigs with them over the last few years in the Model Arts Centre in Sligo and we played carolin music and it was amazing to hear it fleshed out with cello and harpsichord and second violin and viola and um, so that and I thought it might be nice to do an album of, of carolin music with them um, but nowadays it's hard to know uh, if it's worth the investment mm. of, of um, you know, professionally recording. Sure. Uh, people are not buying or using CDs anymore. No, it's, a, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an almost dying. It's kind of going yeah. straight to streaming. True. You know, to, so we'll see. You know, yeah. but there's, there's always a few ideas knocking about. and Of course, yeah. And I think maybe for, especially the, the genre of music, it is that uh, people, there might still be some people that would buy the physical CDs, hmm. even though it is easier to, you know, stream. But uh, I think I came across someone talking about this lately that, you know, for the small timers as such, that, you know, streaming doesn't, there's no revenue from it. As so, you know, there's nothing no, there's to be not. made. Nothing. Yeah. So if you can, especially when it comes to, you know, people like yourself, other musicians that are local, if you can, get by their CD as opposed to because it's you know yeah, you probably even wouldn't yeah. go down this the Spotify route anyway because as you said there's no revenue in it far yeah you yeah. know they only really go after the the so-called pop stars and stuff like this yeah. you know there's it's, it's not a viable model maybe they'll come back at some stage CD players yeah or and CDs but I mean at the minute um at the minute people uh are getting used to listening to music for free and not not buying music yeah. You know, after decades of paying for music, of course. So maybe there's a new model that needs to to be to be looked devised. Yeah. You know, to yeah. be looked at. And you know the um, the basic income scheme for artists. Mm. Um, there's a pilot scheme at the moment. I think it's a three year scheme, and um, they're paying artists a weekly wage, and um, it takes the pressure off. You know, of and um, musicians are included, obviously, in, in, in these artists. You know, there was there was over 9000 applications and I think there was 2000 uh, grants available. And uh, I believe they they selected the, the 2000 randomly. So there was musicians and writers and sculptors and artists and painters and and a whole cross section of artists that, that receive this mm. basic income. So maybe that's part of the future. Maybe, that yeah. kind of model, you Because know. they have to look after, you know, all that. Otherwise, it, you know, it'll die out. Even though, as you were talking about earlier, there's no sign of the the Irish traditional music, especially with your what you're teaching over in Drum Shambo and them courses, that there's a great interest in that. So, you know, it's important to keep that going. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Um, so I have here in front of me uh, a copy of your, your CD. And you mentioned the the, the first track. Uh, yeah, the first track is two jigs that I composed. Uh, the first one I called after my mother, Susan Sweeney. And the second one after the the, the townland we grew up in. It's called the Humours of Derry Nacusan. And there's lots of tunes in the Irish tradition called the Humours of Somewhere. You've got the Humours of Ennistymon and the Humours of Whiskey and the Humours of... Uh, there's a good few other tunes called the humour so I I thought we'd just add another one to the pile yeah. well what we're going to do is we're going to play that for the listeners so that they can hear that track and uh, we'll come back after great stuff great <laughs> stuff 
that was great. I hope you enjoyed that little uh, track from the from the album. So, um, just another question I have, Massey, is for any aspiring fiddle player, would you have any piece of advice to give them if they're just trying to learn the trade? Uh, yeah, um, I suppose I would suggest that they try and build up some kind of bowing technique. And as I said, the way I did that was learning bow for bow from Seamus Thompson. And um, I would also advise them to listen as widely as possible to uh, as many different fiddle players as they can. And to play when they're playing the tunes, that they play them over, you know, three, four, five, even six times over. Um, I remember going to see Tony McMahon a famous accordion player in Roscommon and uh, he said that uh, he, he um, I was chatting to him afterwards and he said do you play the tunes over and over and over again because it's only then that you really get into them and sometimes uh, variations can happen sort of spontaneously when you're when you're kind of in the in the zone and you're just playing these tunes and you don't have to play them fast you know when you're when you're practicing when you're playing play them nice and easy try and get a bit of swing into them and yeah and uh, and enjoy them you know yeah of course main thing and i suppose as you said playing them slow as well it becomes part of the muscle memory as well for them they probably learn it a a lot quicker by playing it slower yeah yeah well we we all i suppose we all want to run before we can walk you know and when i was a teenager i wanted to play mad fast as soon as i could as well you know, but um, I suppose in in I've come to realise the beauty of of playing slow and with a bit of swing and with a bit of nya in the music and yeah. and and trying to there's there's a real enjoyment and beauty in in playing it slow as of well. Of course, yeah. And so if you can sort of hold hold it back a little bit and take it easy, it's yeah, it'll, it'll lay a good foundation. And one other question um, would be, what would you like people to take away from your performances uh, at the end of the night, especially someone like me, who, as I said, wouldn't be mad interested in the whole area of Irish traditional music? What would you hope they'd get from listening to a, a show that you're in or involved in? Well, I'd hope that they just um, they they enjoy it and that, that it spurs them on to try and listen to more. And to uh, explore the the amazing world of Irish traditional music, because you know it's it's such a rich tradition, uh, such a rich and varied genre of music, and there's um, there's styles from different regions all over Ireland, the styles from different players, from different bands. And I'd hope if they heard, if, if you heard me, that it'd spark in you some kind of motivation to go exploring more yeah. and enjoying more. Yeah. And um, I hope it'd get your foot tapping, you know, and, and, and get a, get a bit of life into you, yeah. you know. And bit of adrenaline going. Bit of adrenaline going and, yeah. and feel like you want to get up and dance or something, you know. Because yeah. at the end of the day, a lot of the music I play is dance music. You know, they're jigs, reels, hornpipes, barn dances, polkas, and they're mainly for dancing, you know. They originally were for dancing. Yeah. Nowadays, it's, it's more of a performance and a listening sort of art, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so... 
uh, but originally, you know, it's it's dance music and it's supposed to get your toe tapping and, yeah. and your and your face smiling, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I did there a couple of weeks ago myself and Florence. We went over to the Coleman Centre in uh, Gertrude for the first time um, and there was a traditional uh, session going on there for three hours. So we said, yeah, let's go over. And I absolutely really enjoyed it. And I didn't think I would. Great stuff. Yeah, I really did. Great but, stuff. Um, there was a violinist over there, Jason McGuinness, but I think yeah, he was a fiddle yeah. player at the end of it. <laughs> but um, so, where can someone buy uh, your music, Massey? Is there you have a website? I have a website. Yeah, <clears throat> it's MasseyMartin.com. That's M O S S I E M A R T I N dot com, and um, it's also available in shops in Sligo, Libra okay. Bookshop, and yeah. the Record Room, and. Um, but probably the website is probably the best place. Yeah, you know. And you, if, yeah, if someone wants to get a flavour of your music, they can also go to your YouTube channel because you have a you have a right. couple of hundred uh, videos up there of yourself uh, with the fiddle and tin whistle, I believe, as well. Yeah, yeah. But well, they're mainly instructional vid- videos for um, the students I teach, and it kind of started during the lockdown, during the pandemic. You know, we were we were reduced to screen screens yeah, right. and, and trying yeah. to teach and learn music over the screens, which is not ideal at all. Mm. But I started making videos of tunes uh, for the students and uploading them to a YouTube channel where they can actually slow them down. They can play them at 75 percent or 50 percent. Right. And it doesn't change the key or the pitch of the tune. So they can play along slowly if they feel like it or they can speed it up if they wish. And they can also put it on loop and, and play over and over again with it. So it's a good sort of learning tool, you know. Yeah. So ever since then, for the last few years, I've been recording all the tunes I teach at, in drum shambo or at workshops or at summer schools and just uploading short videos, ju- just the tunes played twice over. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep adding to that and uh, and. Um, People, if you just search Mossy Martin on YouTube, yeah. you'll, you'll I'll get put a, to that. I'll put a link to that on the website anyway, and the, the, the post that goes along with this. But uh, it is a good way of documenting your journey as well, you yeah, know, by physically putting up, uh, physically playing and putting up those videos. It's always nice in years to come to look back on and see the kind of progression as well from video one to, I'm sure you've changed a few things maybe and set up and stuff like that, maybe from the first video, but you know, yeah. I, um, I I tend to record them fairly um, relaxed. Yeah. I, I you know I I don't play them at full speed or anything like yeah. that, and yeah. and try to play them just nice and clear so people can, yeah. can pick them up uh, fairly easily. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, I suppose is there anything else that you'd like to touch on that we may, haven't already? Um, I suppose I'd just like to uh, talk a little bit about my mum again. You know yeah. and. It's um it's always lovely to meet people and I still do and it's it's uh, how many years it's uh, is it twenty thirty five years after she died she died in nineteen eighty eight she was thirty four years old and I I still meet people in Boyle that remember her and talk about her to me and and that's wonderful that must you be know, a lovely I, yeah. I love that you yeah, know that must be really nice though as well especially after all those years because you were only. You would have, how old were you? I was eight. Eight, yeah. So yeah. just to have those people come up and say they remember her and it must be nice to. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. She spent about um, 
just over 10 years, you know, as, as the dentist in Boyle and mm-hmm. uh, um, people have, have some good memories of her still, which is lovely. That is very nice to have. Yeah. Um, well, listen, Mossy, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation and uh, it's been good to catch up as well. We won't leave it as long the next time. Good man, Carlo. Thanks for inviting me on. No problem. Thanks Take very care. much, Massey. So that's it for this episode, folks. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you like the content, we'd really appreciate it if you could share it. You can follow us on Facebook by searching for Voices of Boyle, and you can also contact us on our website by visiting voicesofboyle.com. We're always looking for new guests, so if you'd like to be on the show, or if you know someone who you'd like to join us, please reach out to us via our Facebook page or website. Thanks very much, and we'll chat to you again soon. 